Let's begin by praying together. Father, we thank you for um, this day. For, for some, this is a, uh, a, f- a fun day to be able to enjoy a, a dad. Um, for others, this is a day to be able to relish in the gift of children. For others, this is a painful day. Um, maybe losing a father or maybe wanting to have kids and can't. Um, so we recognize the complexity of today and we recognize that you have uh, forged this reconciliation relationship, this adoptive relationship where you've sent your son to die for us that we could for eternity call you father. And we thank you that death can't take from that, betrayal can't take from that, that you are steadfast and secure. And so Father, I pray this morning that you'd remind us that you are with us and that you love us pray you meet us this morning um, as we talk about the fear of the Lord um, as the beginning of wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would direct our conversation. Would you stir our affection for you? Um, we invite you into this time. Would you be near us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So over the coming months, we're going to be asking this question that's up here, right here. How to live the good life is the question that we're going to be kind of engaging over the next few months. So we're answering this by going through a few different series. We're going to be going through uh, the Proverbs over the summer. And then in August, we're going to be spending some time around community and laying out a, a recalibrated vision of community coming out of isolation and quarantine and recognizing we need one another. Uh, to be followers of Jesus means that we need the church to flourish. And so uh, that's going to be a part of it. And then in the fall, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to be doing that over these next several um, months. We're going to ask me, what is the good life and how do I live it? And so in the, in the Bible, there's a, a genre called wisdom literature. And so this wisdom literature uh, speaks to this question around how to live the good life. These three books are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. So you might have heard of those before, but those make up wisdom literature. And all these answer this this question in different ways. They ask this question, what kind of world do we live in? Uh, How do we live well in this world? And how do we become good at this thing called life? And so they do that in different ways. Each book is like a person. You got Proverbs, and it's like a a brilliant... um, young teacher. That's how the Proverbs come to us. And the Proverbs talk to us about integrity, talk to us about wisdom, talk to us about spirituality, talk to us about friendship and and all sorts of different things. And so we got that with Proverbs. We have Ecclesiastes, which is like a a sharp, middle-aged critic. They come in with a different vantage point, but asking and identifying the same question around wisdom and and using maybe uh, some of the pain of life uh, the, the life's supposed to look like this, this way, but what if it doesn't? And how do we respond? And so Ecclesiastes engages that. And then third, we have Job, and it's like a weathered, older individual who's been through life and comes out on the other side and provides wisdom. So Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, and Job kind of use wisdom and speak to how to live out this life in different ways. And so again, in Proverbs, we meet this young, brilliant teacher 
It's a lady wisdom is the personified woman that we meet. And she's smart in every way. She's the friend that you want to have. You want to be able to come to her with questions and, and her to be able to give you insight into these realities of life. And so as we dive into the Proverbs this sun, summer, there's going to be a few things that we need to know if we want to get out of Proverbs, what was designed for us to get out of Proverbs. And so there's three things out of the gate that I want to kind of lay out as a baseline for us over these next several weeks as we go through Proverbs. The first thing that we need to know is that she, this personified woman, is an invisible force that guides people in how they should live. This force is an attribute of God that he used to create the world. He weaved it into the fabric of the DNA of our world. The Hebrew word here is hakmah, if you want to see it there. That's the Hebrew word. And it's this idea that God has weaved and crafted into our world this thing called wisdom. It's built into the DNA and the fabric of creation. Where, where there are good and just decisions, we are tapping into this. And where we reject this, we are moving away from the design that God put in this world. It's a cause and effect, and you can't escape it. So in general, wise people, they tend to uh, do better. That's wisdom. In general, if you adhere to these things, life typically goes well for you. However, Ecclesiastes will speak to this. What if it doesn't go well? Job speaks to this. What if it doesn't go well? So the Proverbs say that there will be a, a normal sea, that if you make these decisions, things will go well for you. But there are realities in life when they don't go well, and, and Job and Ecclesiastes speak to those things. Nonetheless, this wisdom is built into the fabric of our world. And we'll, we'll see that as we talk about these things over the next several weeks. Second thing we need to know is the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You can know things and not be wise. You can have a very good understanding of life and not be wise. You can actually be foolish. Anyone can access this wisdom and use this wisdom to make a good and beautiful life. But there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is having information. Knowledge is, is knowing facts, knowing information. Wisdom you, you possess wisdom when you put it into practice, when you put it to work, when it shapes your life. So the Proverbs want to make clear that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Um, Spurgeon says it like this. He says, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is to not be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There's no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. So as we get through the Proverbs, we have to recognize that it's, it's, it's okay to have uh, knowledge. But wisdom is the thing that it's inviting us into. It's the, the way that God designed it. And then the third thing that we need to know as we go through the, the Proverbs is that this impersonal force, this, this lady wisdom that we read is an attribute of God. So it's connected to God himself. So to grasp wisdom, the prerequisite to grasping wisdom is to understand the source of wisdom, which is God himself. So your journey to become wise has to go, has to go through the pathway of the fear of the Lord. To understand wisdom, truly, to understand the way that God designed this to work, we must 
understand, the fear of the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So this, bu- this book is built on this statement. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the, the book of Proverbs is laid out into two parts. The, the first nine chapters focus on the fear of the Lord. And the second, or the, the latter, the 10 through 31 uh, well, specifically 30, because 31 does something different, are hundreds of sayings of Proverbs of applying the fear of the Lord into everyday life. And so that's how the Proverbs are laid out to us and how we're going to explore them over these upcoming weeks. But again, the baseline for the Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everybody say the fear of the Lord. Good, good. To get God's design for wisdom, we must understand the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? When we think of fear, you maybe think of being frightened or maybe you think of being afraid of something. So for me, growing up, um, I never got into, are you afraid of the dark? Anybody? Did anybody get into it? Yeah, that's why it didn't last. You know what I'm saying? Nobody got into it. But the design was to kind of be a little spooky. The things that I did get into, and I loved some of these things, uh, Rescue 911. Anybody get into Rescue 911? Okay, thank you. So Rescue 911 was a reenactment of emergency situations, these life and death moments. Typically, there's always a Boy Scout present, but then you always know at the very end of it, things go well. I loved Rescue 911. I also loved Unsolved Mysteries. Anybody? Yes, Unsolved Mysteries freaked the junk out of me. I always thought there was a serial killer watching me as I'm watching it in my basement. You know, you might have had that feeling. There's always the America's Most Wanted on there. Where are they? They're somewhere probably in Georgia, maybe in Marietta, maybe um, on Stockton Drive where I grew up. And so I actually heard that they were making a, a, a reboot comeback, so that's free. But man, we, we gravitate towards some of these elements of being afraid or fear, and you can apply that into the fear of the Lord. And so I assume that it's, it's kind of this idea of someone scary watching me, and so maybe that applies to God, because, man, if Santa is kind of like God, and, and he watches us, and so maybe that's that, and it's kind of creepy, and that's not the fear of the Lord. We can translate that towards God, but that's not the point. What is it instead? It's several things, and I'll I'll share them with you. The first is that the fear of the Lord provides perspective for us. In Psalm 33, I've been reading through the Psalms in my morning time, and I came across this a few days ago. In Psalm 33, 6 through 9, it says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. See, the fear of the Lord is, uh, and it'll be on the screen here, it's the recognition of who he is as creator and who we are as his creation. The fear of the Lord is a a recalibration of perspective to rightly know God as God and rightly know us as his creation. It's easy to get it twisted, to think that we're much bigger than we actually are and he's much less than he is. And the fear of the Lord gives us a recalibration of who he is and who we are. And it leads to a place of awe, which we'll get to in a little bit. 
Second, the fear of the Lord, it is clean. In Psalm 19, verse 9, uh, it should pop up here to, yeah, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. It says that it's clean. I love that word, that it's clean. It's, 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 it uh, brings this it's soothing, it's intentional, it's, it's healing. There's a popular phrase right now, maybe even you see it, say it, that, uh, that, that I'm eating clean. I, I eat clean. That's kind of the way I, I eat with my food. I kind of eat clean. It's kind of this way of virtue signaling that like, it's becoming more and more common. Eating clean is, is a good thing. If you can bypass the judgment that maybe you've felt when someone's told you that as you're eating your Big Mac, like maybe you felt that judgment a little bit, but there's, there's good in eating clean. The point of it is actually to help put things into my body that make it strong and healthy. And if you apply that to the fear of the Lord, that it's clean that it actually nourishes our soul. It, it when embraced, it nourishes and, and resets our souls on true, our true north and our true reality. The fear of the Lord is clean. Third, the fear of the Lord, it brings life. It brings life throughout the Proverbs. We're gonna see this take place. I'll read a few to you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. It says this, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. But the years of the wicked will be short. If we go to the next one in Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And lastly, Proverbs 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And so the fear of the Lord, when understood, it brings life to our soul. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the promotion. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy for you, but it stabilizes you through difficulty. It brings life to your soul. And lastly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We see this in Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then again in Proverbs chapter 9, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the baseline to knowing wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The prerequisite to wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Again, the fear of the Lord is recognition of who He is as our Creator and who we are as His creation. So let's spend some time uh, breaking that down, who we are and who He is. First, who we are. We live on this rock called earth. It's but a rock. And this thing called our solar system and this thing called our galaxy and in this thing called our universe. It's a planet, but in comparison to the galaxy and universe, we live on a functional rock. There are approximately, and I think this is right, 100 quintillion, that's 23 uh, zeros, uh, there's... Uh, there's 100 quintillion stars in the known universe. I mean, it's just, it's just astronomical. It's just bonkers. We just can't even fathom this reality. Yet in this immensity, there's only one place in this universe where life exists. I know you, you get on some websites, and UFOs, what's, I need to know if there's life somewhere else. Or we're looking, we're searching, but the reality is, man, there's only life here. There's this complexity called planet Earth, man, yet in all the immensity of the universe, life exists here on Earth. Related to the sun, the sun is 93 million miles away, one of the 100 quintillion stars in our universe. 
If you take a, uh, a golf ball, we were talking about golf again, 6.5 million new. Some of you guys drew is going to be the newest one after that grab bag he just got. And so if you have a golf ball, which is this size, and then you, uh, if the earth were a golf ball, the sun would be in diameter of this whole stage up here. Like we're just so small in comparison to just our sun, and you add that to the 100 quintillion stars, and the sun is just another star. Man, we are just a speck in this universe. The sun is so big, you could put 960,000 earths inside the sun. We're just a speck. This perspective of, of who we are, seemingly insignificant, But on this rock, we are made with God as the author. Maybe this is uncomfortable for you, but from one self from your mom and one self from your dad, each carrying 23 chromosomes, Father's Day doesn't exist without this reality, we have this new cell created. The one from your mom was carrying half of her DNA. The one from your dad was carrying half of his DNA. And those two cells met and merged, and a new single cell was then formed. And when they did so, chromosomes were then matched. And when they did, they began to form together a brand new DNA code. This code begins to write who God created you to be and even who God ordained you to be. We're each ridiculously complex and insignificant, but ridiculously complex. St. Saint, um, Saint Augustine said it like this. He says, men go abroad to wonder at the height of mountains, the huge waves of the sea, the long course of rivers, the vast compass of the ocean, the circular motion of the stars, but they pass by themselves and they don't even notice. And we're ridiculously complex, yet only a speck. We're small, yet beautifully complex, and significant, yet marvelously significant, made in God's image, yet finite. It's who we are, and they're related to God. He's nothing like us. He's holy. That's what holy means, that he is absolutely nothing like us. He is different than, he is transcendent to us. He's great. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is unlike us. He is creator. We are creation. If you look at Psalm 29, we see a little bit about God and us ascribing to him. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer birth, the strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. He's great. 
He's holy. He's the mighty God. He's the Alpha and Omega. He is the great and marvelous one. He's the creator of all things that are seen and unseen. He's the ruler of the heavens. He's the ruler over the earth. The nations will tremble before him. Every knee will bow and confess to him. He's great. He is great. That's the perspective that we have. And he's gentle and humble. You know, the first words that God reveals himself as in the Old Testament is in this moment when when Moses cries out, show me your glory, and and God and Moses have this interaction together, and and God defines himself, and actually Chris read it earlier, Psalm 145 speaks to it, in Exodus chapter 36, um, we read about what God says of himself in uh, this section, Exodus 34, I'll read verse Six, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. The first words out of his mouth describing himself in the Old Testament is this The Lord, the Lord God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The first words God uses to describe himself merciful and gracious. And in the New Testament, we see the image of the invisible God. We see Jesus come on the scene as the exact imprint of the Father's nature. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus, the first words where he describes himself, he says in eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God defines himself. Yes, he is great and majestic, but he is gentle and humble. The great God describes himself as one who is gentle and humble. And in the culmination of human history, this great God made himself so humble that he entered into our story, incarnating himself as the rescuer, as the hero, to rescue us from sin and death through Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. See, the perspective of ourselves and of God gives us a rightful perspective of the fear of the Lord, knowing who God is, knowing who we are. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So why does the fear of the Lord lead us to wisdom? What is a willful submission to God as God and you as creation? It's letting go and saying, my flesh or my culture might say that I'm better than I am, that I'm more superior, that I can be my own God, but I'm submitting to you, I'm submitting to your ways, I'm putting you as the Alpha and the Omega as my Father, and I'm in submission to you and your ways and how you've made this world to be. See, our culture changes. It will forevermore change. But, it, but the fear of the Lord states that you, God, are the designer, and you remain the same, and I submit to you. That's the heart. It's recalibrating who we are and who, uh, who God is. That's the why. How does the fear of the Lord lead to wisdom? And it shapes how we live our life. The application of uh, faith and the gospel recalibrates how we live our lives. It changes how we spend and handle our money when we know that it's not ours, when we know that it's his and we're just stewards of it. 
It helps us second guess as a follow-up filter to say, man, I want to spend on this and this and this and this, but I'm going to recalibrate. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What, what is true about you and me and how can I make sure that I am in submission to that? It, it changes how we deal with money. It changes how we value generosity with our time, with our money, and I have perspective of who you are and who I am. We choose to not give into immediate gratifications that our culture says that we should give into or our flesh says that we should give into with perspective of who he is. He's great, but he's gentle and humble and who we are. I choose to live a life of integrity when I know that there's a God who exists, who I'm going to give an account for. It helps me recalibrate when I want to go down a path of living a dual life. And I want to kind of have the life that everybody sees, but another life that no one sees. I recalibrate the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I remember who God is. I remember who I am. And it recalibrates how I live my life. And if I'm going down a path that I shouldn't be going down or I recognize is not helpful for me, I repent and I turn back to that reality of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. I seek to be humble, humility, with perspective of who God is and who I am. And I seek to care for others when I recognize who God is and his care, to, uh, his care for the quartet of the vulnerable and who I am. It changes how we live our lives. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and how, how to live the good life. Man, we want to learn how to live this life well in its complexities, when curveballs come, when the doctor calls and says something we never imagined would be true of myself or our parents or our kids or our spouse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It keeps us grounded, and it keeps us rooted in the midst of the chaos of this life. Baseline of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Who we are and who God is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so over these next several weeks, we're going to navigate through key themes that Proverbs talks about throughout the chapters therein. And we're going to navigate through how the fear of the Lord shapes and how it applies to all these different aspects that Solomon presents to us in this book called Proverbs. As I close, I want to close with a time of confession because I think that it would be helpful for us to recalibrate. Um, maybe we, we haven't had that perspective. Maybe our perspective is a little wonky, and maybe our view of ourselves is a little higher than maybe it was designed to be, and we think that we're kind of our own God, making our own decisions. We, we are in charge of our own finances, doing whatever we want with our own lives, and we're not recognizing uh, the, the pattern that's designed for us and the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. And so Moses writes in Psalm 12, and this is where I want us to just kind of have some introspection for us as we close. Uh, Moses speaks to us in Psalm 90, verse 12, and he's doing this fear of the Lord recalibration. He has this prayer that I want us to pray together over this next minute as we have a time of confession. It says, he says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And what is he saying there? Teach us to remember that God, who's infinite, exists. And I, who am significantly insignificant, uh, am finite. So teach me, God, for the fear of the Lord to lead me to wisdom. I'm here today, gone tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised this afternoon. And so God, teach me to have a recalibrated heart 
around the fear of the Lord to have vision along these lines. And so for us this morning, I want to, before we have communion together, I want us to take a minute. And I don't know where you are this last week, where you've been these last weeks, this last month, whatever it is, but man, I want to see us, I believe that we are invited to recalibrate around the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. Teach us to number our days as we live a heart of wisdom. So as Chris and Kendra come up, um, I want to take this next minute and, and pray that prayer together, just quietly in our hearts and where we're not uh, believing that we're here today and gone tomorrow. And we're kind of living, building out our life as if we are in control of our lives and that we would recalibrate. God, you're, you're in control and you are our father and you love us and I want to put that ownership on you and I want to be in submission to you. Teach us to number our days that we would live a heart of wisdom. Let's take this next minute and recalibrate our hearts towards that prayer. Father, we come and we gather week in and week out to remember the story we're a part of. Part of a, a story of a God who existed and that he created and that creation rebelled and he wrote himself into the story as the main character to rescue his creation. And he will come again to make everything sad come untrue. This morning, while well, we kind of chosen to submit to our own narrative, our own story, help us to recalibrate. Teach us the number of days that we live a heart of wisdom. Remember who we are and who you are, Lord. Draw near to us. Lord, move in this community. We ask for wisdom and revelation to know you better, Lord.